Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. I'm so eager to chat again with the author of a book that I read recently and thoroughly enjoyed. Really made me think. The book is called The Meritocracy Trap. How America's foundational myth feeds inequality, dismantles the middle class, and devours the elite. The author of the book is Daniel Markovitz. He's the Guido Calabresi professor of law at Yale Law School. He's the founding director of the Center for the Study of Private Law. Hey, Professor, thanks for spending more time with me. Thank you so much for having me on. I should mention at the outset, you are a self-described meritocrat, meritocrat. I'm not sure which pronunciation you favor, but how so? What makes you that? Well, I uh, owe almost everything I have to having had the good luck to do well in school and get the kind of jobs that doing well in school makes it possible to get. That's where I get my income. It's where I get my status. And so in that sense, I'm very much a product of the system. 
And now I teach other people who come through the same system and they get their income and status through the kinds of teaching and degrees that I give out. So I'm also an agent of the system. By a third of the way through the book, I was looking up the word merit because to me it had always meant rewarding those who are worthy by achievement, by working hard. And here I am reading the book and wondering what could possibly be so bad conceptually about rewarding hard work and achievement. Yeah, I think it maybe is helpful to to draw a distinction between something like excellence and something like superiority. So it makes perfect sense to reward people who are good at things that are worth doing. So that if you have a plumber in your house, you want the plumber to know how to fix your toilet or your drains and to be qualified to do that. But it's a different thing to have a system in which in order to get rewarded, you have to beat everybody else. So you don't just have to be good. You have to be better than others. And you always have to be the best. And all the rewards are concentrated at the very top. And that's the system that we have right now. And that's a system that's both harmful and unfair. Hasn't it always been that way? I don't think it has always been that way. Uh, Let me give you a concrete example. Think of something like personal photography. So 50 years ago, that was dominated by the Kodak company. Kodak employed about 140,000 people at its peak. These were mid-skilled, middle-class workers, and the founder, George Eastman, was very insistent on a middle-class model of production. He had workplace training. He promoted people internally. Kodak has been almost put out of business, but much harmed by digital photography. A leading company in digital photography like Instagram employed a grand total of 13 people when it was bought by Facebook for a billion dollars. Those 13 people were super skilled. They became incredibly rich, and they captured all the gains that used to be spread across like 150,000 people in Kodak. And that's the difference between the way we work now and the way we worked then. Largely attributable to, you know, as Tom Friedman pointed out, the world being flat at a time when we have technological advance. That's right, but I don't think technological advance is inevitable in the sense that it inevitably has to favor the super-rich. We could have technologies that make middle-class people more productive. And actually, in other countries, that's how they operate. So in Germany, for example, new technologies and new technological investment improves middle-class wages and actually reduces rich people's wages. Whereas in this country, new technologies make rich people much richer and cost middle-class people their jobs. You discuss in the book, by the way, the book title, The Meritocracy Trap, you talk about the aristocracy, the aristocracy model, how uh, those who owned things in an aristocracy really didn't work. They were the idle rich. And today we've got the one percenters who derive income from their own labor. Think Goldman Sachs. Think a white-shoed law firm. Think Silicon Valley. Uh, They've gotten there not because they've inherited it but because they've, they've earned it through their labor and their intellect. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, that doesn't mean it's fair that they should make as much money through their labor as they do, but it also doesn't mean that it actually is good for them. When I talk to my friends, you know, I teach at Yale Law School, uh, I know a lot of people who are now partners at big law firms. If I ask them, would you give up a third of your income in exchange for getting 25 hours a week back to spend with your family or in your hobbies? of them say they'd take the trade. But the trade isn't available because the choice is work all the time and get that rich or don't do that kind of job at all. And so the system that we have now doesn't even favor the rich. Now, nobody should weep for the wealthy, 
but it's important because we can make a global trade in our society in which the rich give up a little bit of income and status, get their freedom back, and the middle class gets good jobs back, and then everybody would be better off. You don't use these words, I don't remember in the book, but I was thinking interlocking directorate. It came to my mind relative to this system where the elite based on merit are intermingling with, in other words, they're at the same schools, they live in the same neighborhoods, they have the same jobs, they, another point you make, marry one another, they recreate differently. It's become very insular and it makes it difficult to crack with new blood. Did I, did I lay that out accurately? I think that's exactly accurate. You know, we think of the U.S. as an opportunity society, but social mobility in the U.S. is much, much lower than in most other rich countries in the world. And mobility into the elite is incredibly low. Uh, In the Ivy League, where I teach, there are more students whose parents are in the top 1% of the income distribution than the entire bottom half. And that's also bad, and it makes the elite lose touch with the rest of society. And then when everyone who is excluded is told the reason they're excluded is that they can't measure up, it makes everybody else resentful and angry because they're told it's their own fault, when in fact there's a structure that keeps them out, and that's very bad for our politics. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, With three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Placing a trade shouldn't be complicated. It should be smooth as butter. The Fidelity app makes investing easy with zero commission U.S. stock and ETF trades, no account minimums, and fractional shares trading. Fidelity where nothing comes between you and the trade. That's smooth. Download our app free from the App Store or Google Play. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from $0.01 cent to $0.03 cents per $1,000 of principal. No account minimums apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. I was thinking about two books that I've read in the last five years as I read yours. One was Charles Murray's Coming Apart, because you talk about St. Clair Shores and Palo Alto. He talked about Belmont and Kensington. I was also thinking of a book that I can't remember, damn it, the title, but Steve Brill wrote it within the last few years, where he argued that, that frankly, some among us have gotten to be too good at playing the game and enjoying all the, all the spoils. Did you look to either of those for any inspiration or similar thinking? Yeah, I actually looked to both of those books. Um, Charles Murray's book in particular, I think the first half of that book is really excellent. It's an empirical investigation of the way in which life in the small, rich enclaves of the United States is different from the rest of the country, and just how isolated and insular they are. I have problems with the second half, which says that the reason why this has happened is that people have lost touch with traditional religious values and certain kinds of conservative values, which I don't particularly share and also don't think are as powerful as Murray thinks they do. But the description of the insulation of the elite and its comprehensive separation from everybody else is a powerful indictment of where we are right now. Yours, tell me if you agree, this is not an ideological perspective that you're bringing to this this situation of inequality. So for me, it's not in a certain sense. I'm trying clinically to explain right. what it's like and what caused it. My own view is that our politics is broken, not in the familiar sense that we're yelling at each other, but that we are, of course, but also that both the left and the right have the wrong theory of the case. And I'm trying to just describe what's going on, and then people can make up their mind what they care about. How about the parent who is listening to this and saying, wait a minute, I've raised my kids to work hard and to strive. Yes, I gave them advantage. I enrolled them in Stanley Kaplan's LSAT prep course or whatever you know, the instance may have been. Have, is there something I did wrong? So I don't think so. One of the things about this system is that it arises without a lot of particular villains. You know, you're a parent. You want the best for your kids. Right. You do what you can to help them without cheating or harming other people, and that's the right thing to do. But you're in a system in which you don't have the options that you might want. I think a lot of rich parents would like the choice that their kids have a little less stress, don't work all the time, aren't constantly in classes or tutors or coaches, can have a childhood and still have a secure future. And a lot of middle-class parents would like the option of having schools and universities available that would give their kids a stable income going forward. And neither group has that. Okay, so if Daniel Markovitz is right that this meritocracy trap is the greatest driver of inequality and that we're all losing, what's the solution? What's the alternative? What does it look like? So I think that there are two kinds of solutions, two parts to it. The first is... We have to open up the elite, and we have to open up education again. 
between the end of the Second World War and the mid-70s, we increased the share of our people who graduated colleges by a factor of something like four. And it's been largely flat since then. So we should commit as a country to doubling the number of people who go to and graduate college in the next 20 or 30 years. We did it before, we can do it again. And that would give lots of real opportunity for many, many more people. The other thing is we need a real work policy. We need policies that promote good middle-class jobs. There are things we could do to our tax system that would make it fairer and also more promoting of good jobs. And there are things that we could do to our direct labor market policy. I think actually wage subsidies are a very good idea. You pay employers a little bit of an extra boost if they make jobs that pay people good wages. That would be a terrific thing for us to do, and it can be constructed in a way that makes it efficient as well as fair. Have you heard any discussion from anybody on the 2020 campaign trail that approaches these issues and talks of these solutions? I think yes, in various ways. So, for example, Elizabeth Warren just came out with a proposal today to apply the payroll tax to high incomes. Right now, if about $130,000 a year of income is subject to the payroll tax. After that, the payroll tax goes away. That means that there's a huge tax incentive to replace $20,000, a year workers with one $2 million a year worker and robots. And if we tax the full $2 million, there'd be an incentive to hire back the 20 people who are making 100000 a year. So that's a policy she has that would touch on some of the things that I'm concerned about. Is part of the problem a perception problem? I, I talked about you and your book after interviewing you on television, and a caller called and said that state education's uh, aren't given the, the the respect and dignity that they deserve. I think I then responded by saying that data that I have looked at suggests that most of the Fortune 500 CEOs come from state schools and not from the Ivy Leagues. I mean, do we need an attitude shift? I, I'm surrounded by parents who, by the way, like myself, want to push their kids to go to the best schools possible. But But maybe we need to reorient parental thinking in that regard. I think it would be great to reorient parental thinking, and it would be really good for our kids because especially the parents who have the means to push their children through this system are not serving their children's human interests well. It's not nice as a kid to be constantly tested and prodded and shaped and manipulated, even if it does get you ahead. The problem is you can't do it by guerrilla warfare one family at a time because if you try, all that's going to happen is your kid's going to start losing in this crazy race. And then, as someone said to me recently, your whole world will come collapsing down on top of your children. So we need coordinated policies. And I think the way this has to work is parents across the class divide have to understand what's gone wrong and then push for collective action through government to create the right policies and programs to make things better. Professor, a final question, and thanks for being so gracious with your time. You've written a serious book. It's getting widely reviewed. It's created a lot of buzz. Is there something in it that you think people like me who've interviewed you, have read it, have reviewed it, have overlooked? Is there something that you published here that you thought was really going to capture attention that didn't? That's a really good question, and thank you for asking it. Um, I think the, the hardest part of the book is this idea that the arc of technology is not set. We, we live in a world in which we think technology is just, just going to keep going the way it's going, and we think it's just constantly going to favor the most skilled, most educated workers. And I think that's false. Technology changes depending on the education system and the skill of the workforce that we have. And if we understand that, we can start using the same forces that have torn us apart as a society to bring us back together again. 
But that's a, an abstract and sort of academic point and very hard for me to convey in a persuasive way, even in the book and certainly in a short conversation. Does, does that mean that maybe we won't continue to favor those with the most particular skill sets in education? That's the hope. The hope is that we create technologies that allow people with good but not gold-plated educations to work together very productively, and that will raise their wages. I really appreciate uh, your appearance here. Thank you so much for writing it and being willing to discuss it. I'm so grateful for the time, and uh, I've had a lovely conversation. Thank you very much. Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC.